Thank you, Carl. And uh, it is great to be talking uh, about instalment number four in relation to Jesus, the game changer today. And uh, perhaps before we just proceed, I might give a little bit of context for why we would choose this series, why we're doing it, uh, why we're doing it at this time. Uh, I guess in the lead up to every Easter, I think it's always good to bring some sort of focus uh, into our church about Jesus. Now, look, all of our ministries about Jesus. It's because of Jesus we're centred on him. But especially in the lead up to the Easter season, it's great to talk about the difference that Jesus makes. Now, as a church, we always acknowledge and declare that that you know begins with us saying yes to Jesus. So on Good Friday next week, we will focus on the sacrifice, the death of Jesus Christ. And we preach as a church that to accept that your sins were paid for in that sacrifice releases you, uh, sees you be born again and you become a different person when you reach that point. So in that sense, the difference that Jesus makes begins when we are born again. So we never ever step away from that. We always point everyone towards that and declare that. And then, of course, we look at Easter Sunday when Jesus rose from the dead and we say that Jesus' death wasn't the end, that when he rose from the dead by the power of God's Holy Spirit, that he then lives today and he sends his spirit into people's hearts and fills them to overflowing when they are born again and receive him. So we're not just believing in some sort of transaction that occurred back then, but we're saying by the power of the Spirit we, li- we live today. So that's the starting point for the difference that Jesus makes, and that's where we're going, obviously, as we celebrate Easter next week. But what we also wanted to do in this series would say that Jesus' impact on individuals isn't just a spiritual experience where you're born again, you live in this happy little world, uh, this little bubble, and, uh, you know, that's just wow, and we talk about it on Sundays and that's it. Because the impact of Jesus Christ did not stop there. His born-again offer to humanity does revolutionise us, but as we receive his spirit and then... We see what he taught in the scriptures, the way that he lived his life and what he commanded his followers to do. We see that the revolution then takes hold in our world and has formed the foundation of societies and democracies of which ours is one. And and, and not only just creates a little bunch of churchgoers, but then becomes a way of living that has redefined the history of humanity. That Jesus, this 33-year-old carpenter, and what he taught and what was done through him has literally changed history. And so we want to take a time to talk about that for a couple of reasons. One, that so that we might be faithful to what he's done and continue to outwork that in our lives, but also so that we might also stand back and say, wow, (laughs) that's amazing. Like worship him so that we might glorify him and say what you've done and what you've achieved is incredible and fantastic. And uh, Carl uh, has introduced some of those thoughts and some of those ideas tonight, today. So I want to just spend the few moments that we've got left today talking about some of these things, but 
I want to end by just allowing the possibility that we would be drawn into and would be able to say how are we allowing the care ethic of Jesus to walk through our lives as individuals and as a church. Carl alluded to um, what you might call two approaches to giving and uh, they were reflected and, and used, if you like, uh, at the time of Jesus in the what we call the Greco-Roman world, the world based on the Greeks and the Romans of the time. And uh, there's a thing called, I'm not quite sure how to pronounce it, but I'm going to say liberalitis, liberalitis, liberalitis. I knew you were here for a reason, Richard. Liberalitis. And is it caritas or Caritas. None out of two. <laughs> I should have got you up here to read this, Richard. Okay, that word up the top. <laughs> talks about giving to please a recipient who would later bestow a favour on the giver. So it was accepted and expected that you could give using the method of liberalitas because you were doing it in the expectation that you were, were currying favour, that you were advancing your own cause because someone was going to pay you back. So, so you could consider yourself walking through life as a giver, but you were simply doing it to advance your own purposes in the world. And that type of giving was fully understood and expected at the time. Uh, it was extremely rare that the second type of giving would occur in society there were benefactors who basically blessed people with all sorts of supplies and whatever, but it was entirely to elevate their own position in society. And as Jesus said in one of his scriptures, you call them benefactors and whatever, that, that was a role in life. So we're aware of some of that giving. It still occurs in our society today of people basically gathering people to themselves so that their influence grows and on they go in the world. I'd hate to call it politics. That would be unfair. Let's face it, it occurs in all walks of life. But the second type of giving really was a giving that Jesus anointed. I'm going to show you that from the Bible in a few moments' time. And it was that type of giving that revolutionised the world and revolutionises our society among others today. Uh, Caritas giving to relieve the recipient's economic or physical distress without expecting anything in return. And we might call it charity today, but the point being that in the society that Jesus stepped into at the time, it was very much the former rather than the latter, whereas today we would be much more acquainted with and accepting of the second type of giving and probably frown upon the first. And that's a revolution in terms of human thinking compared with the time of Jesus compared with today. In our society today, you would probably be aware of much conversation that goes on about caring, but the discussion that occurs in our society is never about whether we should care or not when it comes to the government spending taxpayers' money on people. The discussion's about how, how much, who should pay, how it should be delivered and what level of care should be provided. But there's no one walking around saying, abolish all care, 
right? You never hear that come up in a debate. I mean, there might be one or two who would dare to raise the flag, but no government would ever propose to our society, we're just sick of giving things away, we're going to abolish it. And it wouldn't last. It'd be laughed at for a few days and it would just disappear. But in the time of Jesus at the early church, the issue of whether people should care at all was up for debate. In fact, it was generally frowned upon and considered to be something uh, that shouldn't be pursued at all. But here in the ethic of Jesus, in our own society today, we see that things have changed significantly. The early church became leaders in caring for those in their culture who were in need, not just those who were part of their church gatherings, but any who were in need. Um, when the Emperor uh, Julian came to power in AD 361 after Constantine, uh, unlike Constantine, Julian was no friend of the church and no believer in the Christian faith. He wanted to return Rome to its pagan past. But it was interesting, one of the tactics that he chose was to call on the pagan priests to care for the poor and the sick like the Christians did. So he was at least upfront enough and smart enough to say, listen, if you guys are going to return to any position of influence in our society, you need to do what these guys are doing because they've turned the world upside down by their approach to caring for the poor and the sick compared with what you did. It actually didn't work. Julian died for a start. Uh, but also the pagan priests had no concept of caring for people and giving to them who couldn't return the favour and in their eyes just weren't worthy of care in any way whatsoever. So that attempt fell completely flat on its face. Um, we also see, so from that, the question that we need to ask is, why did Christians serve the poor and why do Christians serve the poor today? Many of you would be um, aware of some of the debates that come up today where uh, people try to question the value or, or even advocate for the removal of Christian ministry in one form or another. But nothing matches service to the poor uh, and to the sick and to the needy like Christian ministry does in my contention. And the reason for it is that Christians have a call on their life from God. It begins when Jesus outlines his mandate right at the beginning of his ministry in Luke chapter 4, goes back to his hometown and says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me and has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Now, many of us, when we read that, we would probably be quite okay and understand that there is a spiritual element to what Jesus is saying, that as I outlined earlier, there's a, there's a ministry of spiritual freedom that comes when Jesus steps into that space and declares his mandate and his ministry. But he also deliberately targets those who are oppressed or ailing or sick when he sets up uh, the ministry that is to come that he is outlining. So he doesn't point to a ministry to the powerful uh, and the wealthy and the, and the, the healthy, but instead to uh, the blind and the oppressed and the prisoners and declares for the poor that there is a ministry of favour for them. So we accept 
And our teaching is that in this mandate, there is a spiritual and a physical reality to it. That Jesus just doesn't set us free uh, spiritually, but he also has got something to say to ours and to others' personal physical circumstances. Now, this takes on another uh, whole different revelation, if you like, when we look at the amazing story, the parable that Jesus told, which Carl referred to in Matthew chapter 25. And this is uh, really has become uh, the, one of the great mandates for the church's ministry to those who are disadvantaged and oppressed in society. Now, a lot of people get confused with this parable because it talks about God or the king dividing um, people to his left and his right and he gives as the reason uh, basically whether they looked after the poor or not. And some people read that and think, okay, uh, I, I don't want to go to hell Get me to the poor house so I can start caring for some poor people because, you know, this just sounds terrible. But, of course, it needs to be read in the whole context of Christian teaching. We read and we know from Ephesians chapter 2 that it's by grace that we've been saved through faith and this is not from ourselves, it is a gift from God, not by works so that no one can boast. So before I show the next parable, I need to show you that just so we understand what's going on here. Is that Okay. All right, so just remember Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 as we read what's coming up. So the parable um, reads like this in Matthew 25, 34 to 36. Come, you are blessed by my Father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. So that sounds like a really nice invitation. And the people who get it might be thinking, well... What did we do for, to earn this? And, and then this is what it says. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Now, that's a pretty wide-ranging explanation of what's going on there. Uh, it's got food. It's got thirst. It's got isolation, it's got clothing, it's got health and it's got imprisonment. I mean, you can't really think of any other predicament that could be on that list when it comes to being at a disadvantage in life. And then the crowd, those who are invited in, ask this question, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes or and clothe you, when did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? So they're thinking, okay, well, maybe we did do those things, but we're not sure if we saw Jesus there. This response has turned society ever since and the Christian church and its influence on its head. And if you remember anything out of the scriptures, Try Matthew 25, verse 40. Jesus said, truly I tell you, whenever he says that, he's wanting to get our attention, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Now, many of us are aware of that scripture. We know it well and, you know, we think that's fine. But I want you to understand how revolutionary it was for a leader in fact, for a spiritual leader to stand next to the poor, 
the sick, the lame, the naked, the hungry, the thirsty, the imprisoned, and say, if you care for them, you're caring for me. This Jesus stands amongst them and says, their plight I am intimately connected with and advocating for. Because if you knew anything about ancient society or even modern society, we tend to leave those people standing there and say, they're there because they upset God and they didn't please Jesus and they made these mistakes and they've got these problems, but we're over here and we've done none of those things. So the tendency in society, even today, and certainly from a God who might be talked about and spoken about in the ancient world, was to disassociate himself from those people and say, nah, I, I, you know, I've got it all together over here and they've got a problem. But Jesus, and this is not Jesus who rules the world in the sense that this is Jesus, the 33-year-old religious teacher, goes over and stands among those people and says, I am here. And to his disciples, he says, your ministry to me is here, not over there. And that particular response and that particular parable has revolutionised the Christian approach to ministry ever since. And it becomes uh, the backbone of the approach that we take and the reasons why we do ministry in a particular way such as that. Now, in response to that commission and that, uh, that commitment, uh, Carl shared a couple of things uh, that really are fantastically encouraging stories. And he spoke about the uh, plagues, the influenza outbreak, I think it was of AD 165 and AD 251, uh, and how that in response to those plagues, the tendency was for the leaders to go, for the pagan priests to take off, but the Christians would stay and care for those in those particular environment. And that's why Emperor Julian said a hundred years later or so that he wanted his pagan priests to actually behave in that way. But the other story that he told I find really interesting and is often lost on our society. We think hospitals, I think, were invented by the government because they are such an intrinsic part of our society today that we think, oh, well, they're always there and they should be there and, you know, uh, why would you not want to have a hospital and so on and so forth? But I need you to understand where hospitals came from. Firstly, think about the name. What's a hospital? What does that mean? <laughs> we just think it's a normal word and it's been there all the time. Hospital comes from the word hospitality. And for those of us who know the Christian scriptures, we are aware that hospitality is a spiritual gift. It's a ministry of the Holy Spirit. And the story that Carl described is that when Australian society was first established back in you know when in the colony of New South Wales, no one stood around and said, we must set up the hospital. <laughs> it didn't exist. You got sick, good luck. 
You're in need. I hope it works out well. So the idea of ministering to the sick and the oppressed and the dying and whatever, it didn't exist. No one was walking around saying, where are we going to put the hospital? However, what did happen is, as he described, um, the Catholic Church in Australia heard about the ministry of the Sisters of Charity in Ireland in the 18th century, and they said, we want some of that happening over here. So they invited five sisters to come out to Australia and start to do that ministry here. And as Carl said, that was the beginning of St Vincent's Hospital, which still exists in Sydney today, still run by the Sisters of Charity, and that's where the whole idea for hospitals came from. Don't ever let anyone tell you any different. That's where it comes from. I remember recently, some of you might have been aware, the Queen Elizabeth Hospital stands proudly in the western suburbs of Adelaide, not far from where Judy and I grew up, and the government proposed that its services were going to be cut in half. I think, think they were getting rid of people to help you with your heart attack. You had to keep going to the Royal Adelaide if you had one of those. <laughs> I haven't got time to get there. Oh, well, we don't do it here. And it was an absolute outcry. Absolutely. This is the Western summit. The thought that it would be tampered with, so they had to ditch that plan and then they got ditched. And that's life in politics sometimes. But the, the rise of the hospital and the place that it has in society, well, folks, i tell you where it comes from. It comes from the idea that people who are in need need to be prioritised and cared for and they should have a place where they can go and receive the ministry that comes alongside with that. Some hospitals still minister in the name of Jesus, not all do, but it's a call that came through the teaching of Jesus Christ. So I want to leave you as we wrap up today with these questions because if I preach a sermon about caring for the poor, the sick and the lonely, then we then need to ask, well, what are we doing about that? Now, I'm aware that in the life of this church, there's plenty of this type of ministry that occurs already. There's lots of people involved in reaching out to those within our church, outside of our church. We pray for them, we care for them, we take meals, we supply goods. That, that occurs on a large scale already, and I think that's fantastic. But I've identified three areas where we could reflect on how we do this. And I, taught, I identified our resources. That obviously includes our money, but there are other things. Our time and our energy. So that's where we say, well, I've got this much time this week or this month or this year, but I'm going to set aside this particular time and energy to helping people that aren't going to repay me and that need my assistance. And then finally, our prayers. So you might say it's our spiritual focus where we say to those people, uh, they're in need and, and I'm going to pray for you and bring the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit into their situation. Now, friends, the fact is we need to ask this question on at least two levels. Firstly, just us as individuals, as we plan our home life and our time, how are we going on that? But we do need to answer that question as a church. And the fact is that we've done various different things in the life of our church, the one in 10 ministry, various other things. But at the moment, 
we're in a little bit of a hiatus at the moment. I know lots of caring's going on on an individual level, but we need to answer this question as a corporate body here. We need to answer it quick this year and do something about it. So I just want to encourage you with the fact that we are talking about that. I think um, I, if I can say a little bit more, there's a couple of conversations going on. I think not unlike the conversation I had with Carol in relation to prayer, but I think we're going to be doing something in relation to our kids' ministry. Kerry Davis has got some ideas that concern kids outside of our church. So we're looking to saying a little bit more about that in uh, the weeks and months to come and starting something on that, hopefully by term three or around that time. And that's where we're going to look to touch kids who don't have what I think is the incredible blessing of being part of church ministry and our Hills Kids program, who may not be able to see their way to coming here, but we may be able to bless them and touch them outside of church. Following on from that ministry, the question is then becoming, does that give us an opportunity to care for disadvantaged families in our community that those kids are part of? So instead of doing just a kids club, we're able to operate and touch beyond that. And there are people in our church that have got some ideas. One of them's come to see me in relation to how we might be able to do that. So I guess I'm saying at this stage, watch this space. I'm hoping we can announce something on that that's going to build on the things that we've talked about today, the prayer meeting, the, the soup and sausage that anyone's invited to, by the way. You don't just have to go to church. The Alpha Marriage course that turns into the Alpha Outreach course, which uh, is identified by church leaders as the most effective outreach tool. That's the feedback we're getting for a church to use. And then looking at how we can take this care not just in our individual lives, but as a life of church. How does that sound? Okay, all right, so that's fine. So we need to get our skates on and do something about that. But not only that, we need to, uh, as Christians, as we go from our day-to-day life, look for those opportunities. And sometimes, you know, the temptation is, well, yeah, okay, (laughs) you know, I gave yesterday or I gave last year, but... The question is, how are we taking Jesus' mandate and caring for those that can't pay us back and that won't offer us uh, any thanks necessarily, but how can we touch them in Jesus' name? Can we pray about that? Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the ministry of care that you yourself uh, initiated that you augmented, Lord, and that you gave to your disciples as a mission and a ministry in the world. And Lord, we thank you for those who have led the way and been brave and bold, like the Sisters of Charity, and who have committed their entire life to caring for the poor. But Lord, we sense that even as citizens of this world and this society, that the call is upon us to care in a way that is truly reflective of your mandate and truly reflective of how you yourself placed yourself in the centre of those in need. And Lord, we thank you for your gracious goodness and mercy. Lord, if all of us are honest, we've all been in that situation where we needed someone to reach out to us when we couldn't repay or even necessarily respond. 
Whether it's spiritually, Lord, or physically, we've all been in need one way or another. So we want to thank you for reaching out to us. And we want to say here today, Lord, because of your great mercy and of your example, renew us as a church and as individuals in the ministry of caring. Renew us today, Lord. Light a fire in us again. Perhaps we've been sympathetic and empathetic in the past and we've gone a bit cold. We've got a bit closed maybe, Lord. Renew us in the ministry of caring because it's one from your heart. It's one that you yourself have placed yourself at the centre of. And Lord, I thank you for all the caring that's gone on in the history of the Hills Christian Family Centre. I thank you for all the mercy and ministry and mission. But Lord, help us to set our sails and our sights again for the next step, the next stage, Lord. Whether it's through ministry to marriage, ministry to kids, ministry to the disadvantaged, providing goods, Lord, show us those in need. Help us not to be blind to those who are around us. Father, you are a good God. The ministry of hospitality and mercy and mission comes from you. And Lord, we just say, help us to be worthy of that, especially this Easter as we worship and reflect on you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.